All right. First Samuel twelve. Let's do this. First Samuel chapter twelve. We're going to be continuing in the book of First Samuel. And uh, when you're there, we can uh, go ahead and pray. Everyone there? You all good? Everyone ready? Yeah. Ashley, you ready? All right. The the awkwardly moving thumbs up. There you go. Fantastic. <laughs> it's been too long. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this evening that we're able to share together. Lord, as we uh, open up your word, I pray, God, that you would speak to our heart. Lord, that you would draw us uh, close to you. May we sit at your feet and just learn from you. Lord, uh, and you just you have so many wonderful things in store for us every time we come to you, every time that we open up your word. And I pray, God, that you would that you would teach us, Lord, that you would encourage us, Lord, that you would guide us uh, this evening. And Lord, we praise you for it. It's in your name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen. There we are. So if you were here last week, <clears throat> then... Uh, and I wasn't, but I listened online. Delightful message, Sam. Yeah. And I like because, uh, does everyone listen to Sam online from the Thursday nights? They're, they're, they're fabulous. But because Sam asks questions, right? And I don't feel comfortable asking questions. I'm horrified at what, what you would ask me. Um, uh, it just it keeps me awake at night. But because he does, there's, he asks a question, and there's that little beep. That's fantastic. I, and I'm, I, I don't traditionally listen to, to Thursday nights, because I'm always here. But um, he's, he asks a question that's beep, and then it's like, yeah, that's a good point. I'm glad you said that. And I'm like, I have no idea <laughs> what this point was. There was some glorious truth that was revealed that uh, will ever be lost to me. So, you know, be here, especially when Sam teaches. You know, miss all those little, all those little gems. But if you were here last week, uh, then you know that uh, Saul, he was hesitant to accept the title of king placed upon him um, to step into this uh, you know, role that was set before him, but, but he did so when it was required of him. And, and we learn an important lesson about leadership uh, from that chapter, and it's one uh, thing to be called <clears throat> a leader, and it's, it's quite another thing to actually be a leader. And if there's one thing that I've learned from Sam, uh, you know, from the time that I've been here, from the time that I've known him, uh, something that he, he says all the time, and it's, uh, if you have to tell people that you're a leader, then you're not really a leader. And that's just a, that's a truth. And King was put upon Saul, uh, but he wasn't, he, he wasn't a king. And if he demanded to be honored as a king, to be revered as a king, he would only appear, or appear ridiculous. Repeer. That's a, that's a new word. Take that. Run with that. It's delightful. Uh, I can call myself anything. That doesn't make it so. Right? I can uh, go around demanding that I'm, I'm ref- that I'm honored as a toaster. Right? And Corinne could come home and she would say, hello, Michael. It's oddly formal. I'm sure she's never said that. But she can come home, hello, Michael. And I would say, I'm not Michael. Call me toaster. right? And, and she would go, you're ridiculous. You're not a toaster. 
The idea that you would want to be honored as a toaster is preposterous. And, and to, but to some people, the title is very important, right? But the work of actually uh, producing a toast isn't nearly as important. And they cling to that title because that's, that's what they're after. And to Saul's credit, he didn't take his title of king upon him until he did what a king uh, should do. And, and he became a king. And, you know, as we kind of conclude the transitional truths of chapter 11 and connect them uh, to 12, uh, a leader is someone that takes the initiative. A leader can be called a leader because they lead. A leader could be called a leader because uh, people follow. And now Samuel, um, having uh, observed Saul step into this role, he begins to relinquish control of the nation. And uh, that's what we have set before us this evening. It's Samuel's farewell address to um, the nation. And we'll pick it up in the first five verses of 1 Samuel chapter 12. Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice in, uh, in all that you said to me and have appointed a king over you. And now here is the king walking before you, but I'm old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. And here I am, bear witness against me, before the Lord and his anointed, whose ox have I taken or whose donkey have I taken or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. God bless you. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have found or uh, yeah, that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, he is witness. Samuel shows himself to be a man uh, of great uh, humility and integrity, especially in these first three verses that we considered here this evening. And and he he led the nation for years. You know, it's thought that Samuel lived a hundred years. And, and here's a man, 100 years old, and he's stepping down from his uh, position as leader of the nation. And uh, there's a great deal of truth behind him saying that he's old and that he's gray and that he's essentially done. He's been leading the nation in any estimation for at least 60 years. And what an astounding uh, thing. And, and, and despite this great sacrifice of his life, this great sacrifice of service, uh, where he's been judge over the nation, dealing with everything from the trivialities of their daily disputes to leading the nation into war uh, against enemies, he's, he shows uh, or he's shown no gratitude. Right, and he's just pushed aside, and him with the Lord, they're rejected as the the national leaders, and he doesn't stand before them in his farewell address and, and says, you know, I'm a hundred years old, and uh, after a hundred years, you are just uh, the the same lot of losers that you were when I started this whole uh, pointless endeavor, and everything I did for you, and none of you care, and you chose some kid, some. Some know nothing rich 
snobby kid to replace me. And uh, but but no, he doesn't do any of that. He passes the tro- the torch very gracefully, and and he will uh, acknowledge some tough truths as we go through tonight's text. But he steps aside uh, humbly, not clinging to his position pridefully. And to some to some people, the position is very important. Um, yeah, I've helped out at, at church men's breakfasts where. Uh, it's getting close to the time where everything's supposed to start and no chairs are set up. And, you know, you see that and you go, okay, we'll I'll start setting up some chairs. And someone will come up behind me and, you know, put a hand on my shoulder and go, hey, bro, you know, pastor asked me to set up the chairs and I'm in charge of chairs. And it's it's like that's really important to them, that title, that position. You know, they're, uh, they're being perceived as the one, the, the king of the chairs, you know, the... <laughs> The chair leader, the chair pastor, whatever it is, it's important to them. And, you know, some people, they, they insist upon the, these titles and they go, you know, you know call me doctor because you know, I have a degree or, or call me pastor because uh, I'm ordained, you see, and, and, and I'm, I'm a shepherd. You're just, you're just a sheep. So acknowledge me thusly. And, and Samuel was much more concerned with the integrity of the position than the honor that sometimes is associated with that position. And uh, he, he gracefully steps aside, leaving it all to another. Uh, but in leaving, he sets this amazing example before Saul to step into, you know, saying, these aren't my people, these aren't your people, these are, these are God's people. Right, and and that's a heavy thing uh, to consider to anyone that is in any sort of of Christian uh, service. You know, from the senior pastor of a church to the chair pastor working at a church, that you're serving the people uh, of God, and he's addressing a nation. But I can imagine him looking at at Saul individually because you remember Saul is there. This is right after this great uh, victory and Samuel is taking this opportunity to to say goodbye and to, to pass his mantle and he says this is how you should serve the people of God and it and it's a high calling uh, to be to be sure. A Christian leader uh, must serve the people of God as God would serve uh, the people of God. And, and that's, that's not only a high calling, but that's an incredibly high standard. Right? But it's one that Jesus took upon himself in Matthew 20, verse 28. You write it down, look it up when you go home. Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus said, The Son of Man didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom uh, for many. See, we aren't elevated in, in any sort of way in leadership to... to fleece the sheep but to but to feed the sheep in every regard and so he positions himself as an example for this young leader and he and he sets himself before the nation and says have i done have i done this and that's a terrifying thing to consider in and of itself he puts himself before the nation and he invites them to accuse him yeah, he's standing before all of Israel, and he says, "Accuse me. Who have I wronged? 
Who have I cheated? You know, who have I oppressed? And, and what a test of a leader, but really what a test of any Christian. You know, I'm sure that none of us would feel comfortable doing that with the nation as a whole. But forget about the nation as a whole. Forget about the community. For, forget about uh, the, the church even as, as a whole. How many of you would feel comfortable standing up in this very room and saying, accuse me. Who have I wronged in here? Who have I ever been less than perfect before? And you, none of us would feel comfortable doing that. And I, 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 I'm sure that if given the opportunity, every single one of you can think of at least one example of how I have wronged you. So I'm not going to do it. I offend Ashley every time I see Ashley. And I just did it when I sat up here in front of you. I was like, that's what I started with. That's my bread and butter is picking on Ashley. And, and it's, it's, so it's a terrible thing and it's a scary thing. You know, but he, he's, he sets himself before the nation and it's not just the nation. There's a little thing there in this text. He says, my family is with you. Right? So it's not just the nation as a whole. It's his family specifically. It's a neat thing to, to, to read there because when he says my family is is with you, it's an indication that he took care of this uh, issue that had arisen a couple of chapters ago when when his children were in sin and they were also involved in ministry and the people were asking him to take his children out of the ministry. And, and so now he says my family is with you. So his children are just a part of the crowd. They're not standing up on this elevated level with him of leadership. They're just uh, in there. So he clearly dealt with that issue. But he says even my family, does anyone have anything to charge against me. I read that and I thought my family would tear me to shreds. Right? And my family, if anyone could level a charge against you, it's your family. Right? I mean, you might do a very good job of coming to church and appearing perfect and it's, you know, you come in here and you're all smiles and God blesses you and, and this isn't that much of that type of a church, but you go to some churches and everyone's very robotic and Christian and they're all just super holy. But then you get out of the church and you're around your family and you're more human. You're more of who you are every day and every minute of every day. And, and, and I think of the, the 12 years that I've been uh, a Christian and uh, they haven't all been perfect holy moments in my Christianity. And there's been uh, plenty of moments being the only Christian in a non-Christian household or in a non-Christian extended family where uh, I have not perfectly held the line of that standard. And they've been very quick to say to me, oh, and I thought you were some perfect little Christian boy. Hmm, turns out you're not. Turns out you're a terrible human being, right? And and my family would have a field day with this opportunity. And, but, but in the presence of the nation, his family included, not a single accusation is brought to public attention. And that is, that's an incredible thing uh, to consider. They would say, you have been a righteous example in our presence of a loving Lord, you haven't oppressed us. You haven't held your position over us. You have shown God to us. And what a thing to say uh, of a leader. What a thing to say of any believer. Right? And this, this is the kind of stuff that ought to be said of us. This is the type of stuff that ought to be said of our uh, testimony and our representation of God to a nation that is watching, because they always are. You know, Saul would be watching Samuel to see how to be a righteous leader, a man that stood for, for, for 
for the, the, the person and the presence of God. And Samuel was very aware of that. So he guarded his testimony in their presence. And, 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 and you never really know who's watching, right? But if you call yourself a follower of Christ, it, I guarantee you they are. And I don't say that to scare you. I know a lot of, a lot of people use that. A lot of uh, speakers use that. Uh, and they use that to say, well, you need to appear perfect because everyone's watching. It's our collective reputation. You need to be this this person. And so we do uh, come into church and we appear robotic because that's what we think is, is, is right. Uh, but, but that's not what I'm getting at. You see, right now, here and now, in, in 2013, I'm learning how to be a Christian from Sam. I'm learning how to be a Christian from Gil. It's like I'm learning how to be a Christian from Beth. I'm learning how to be a Christian from all of you. And you're learning how to be a Christian from me. Right? That's what we do with each other. We're all an example of Christianity for each other. And it's not something heavy to lord over anyone's head. It's something heavy that's over all of our heads. And it's something that we're not accountable for all the time. We're learning about what it looks like to be a Christian in the here and now from, from each other. Right. And, and, and Samuel was just like all of us. He was a real person. Right? He had real emotions. He had real problems. He was wrong. Right? We talked about one occasion where he was wrong, and I'm sure there were many others. And, and I'm not saying that you need to be an example, and so you need to be perfect. Right? And, and be, because that would be, that'd be a terrible thing to put on anyone because we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us will ever be perfect. You can never be an example of perfection. But every single one of us could always be an example of uh, repentance. We can always be that, right? We can always be an example of striving for Christ-likeness. Let's continue in in verse 6. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand uh, that, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, who brought uh, your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord, their God. So he sold them into the hands of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazar, and into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and Asterisks. And now, uh, believer, or believer, deliver. <laughs> I got my B's and D's mixed up. I'm dyslexic. Deliver us from the hand of our enemies, and we will serve thee. Then the Lord said, uh, or sent Jeroboam and uh, Badan and Jephthah and Samuel, and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around, so that uh, you lived in security. And I really like this passage, specifically the way that it begins. It's been something that I've been 
thinking about all week. You know, Samuel reminds them of their history, but he rehearses it in their ears only uh, to confront them with the evidence that validates the goodness of God. That's the whole point of Israel's history. It's one example after another to prove nothing more than this singular point, that God is really good to his people. Right? It makes me think about my own journey and my own ups and downs as I've gone through you know, everything that I've gone through in my uh, short 29 years. Right? The, the slavery to sin, the difficulty uh, of dealing with it, and the deliverance and the victory, it leaves me with this consideration of my own history. Right? That it's been nothing more than a sequence of examples displaying the irrefutable goodness of God. That I could look at it uh, moment by moment and say that, that thing, that terrible, dark time, or or that thing, that that wonderful, beautiful time, all of it put together as a collection proves this point. And it's this point that we have a wonderful, good God. Even when things look bleak, even when everything looks dark, I can uh, look back at bleak and dark times and see the deliverance of God from bleak and dark times and say, there he is. That's God. He showed up then. He's going to show up now. This is God, a God that never changes. Even the yucky stuff that happened as a result of my sin. You know, I can make just the worst situation for myself and it can be completely my fault and God uh, could lift uh, that, that piece of coal out of the heap, press it into a diamond and say, here it is. There's a great truth in that, that you can learn, that you can draw closer to me. I'm giving you this opportunity. And this is a wonderful thing that Samuel does for Israel. He says, consider your history and know that you have a good God that passionately and persistently loves you in spite of everything that you put him through. Another wonderful thing that Samuel does here uh, that, that is incredibly helpful is he connects their history, which is their past, to their present. You know, a terrible trap that we can fall into uh, as Christians is to remember the goodness of God and the awesome works of God as something that happened a long time ago. And we can begin to reflect upon it uh, rather uh, or we can begin to reflect upon it as something that was way back when rather than something that is common and contemporary and something that should be counted on, right? And, and I think that we should fear when we begin to say or we hear others say, oh, I remember uh, when God was really moving. Or, oh, back then, oh, well, those were the exciting days of my Christianity uh, because the God of those days hasn't changed. The God of those days is the God of these days. He's the God that said uh, in Hebrews 13.8 that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's the God in our mind of some great and exciting day, then we need to stop and consider, why isn't he the God that is still doing great and exciting things in my day? Because God hasn't changed, I'm only left with the conclusion that I've changed. Right? And Israel had changed. They they had forgotten the great, glorious God that had delivered them time and again and how faithful he had been to them. 
these exciting, wonderful uh, days had had they'd only been been placed in this category of memory rather than lived out uh, in their midst as a contemporary, and and they'd become lax thinking that God was doing stuff way back then, but we can slow down and take a break because God isn't doing very much now. God, God is God. He's always God, just constantly God, all day, every day, right? I know you because you're, you're like me, and I know me, right? And, and you're looking you know, at me and going, you don't know me. Don't pretend like you know me. But I know you because I know me, and I know that I'm not the same every day. You know, some days I wake up and, and I'm just super crabby, right? And it's and and Corinne, uh, you know, would look at me and she'd go, mm, "Someone put on their crabby pants today," and I'd be like, "No, these are the same pants I wear every day, and I wash them every two days so that I can continue to wear them every day. I like these pants, and and so you know, they're not my crabby pants. But and some days I'll wake up and the sun's shining and I'm looking at people and I'm liking them, and it's like, hey. What a beautiful, glorious day. But God, that never happens to God. God, I was about to say, God wakes up every day. As if God's like up in heaven, he's going, wow, I am beat. I need to go to bed for a while. But God, God is just always God. He's always exactly the same. He's never changing. He's a constant. So there isn't a moment where God was really wanting to work and really wanting to do great and glorious things. And then there's a moment where God's like, ah, I don't know, let's just chill out for a while, you know? And, uh, and we call that the dark ages or whatever it might be for us. You know, no, God is always wanting to go. God is always wanting to do. God is always wanting to move and bless and touch and work. And, and if that isn't happening, if we're looking back fondly upon this period of time when God was active and now he's dormant, the problem isn't God, See, Samson, uh, or not Samson, Samuel is reminding them, listen, this is, this is God. He's always the same. He's done this for you time and again. He would have done it for you now, but you've turned away from him like you always have before. Now, uh, he does one other awesome thing for Israel in reminding them of their history. He gets specific about the people that are involved in their history. You see, Sisera, does everyone remember Sisera? Uh, Judges chapter 4, we talked about uh, Sisera. And he came up with his 900 chariots, right? 900 chariots, he put uh, the people of Israel in bondage. He was coming against to enslave a people that could only defend themselves with uh, rocks and sticks. And he oppressed them for 20 years. 20 years, Israel was a proud child, saying, we can handle this. God, we don't need you. You know, And God hovered overhead, saying, just let me help you. But they wouldn't let him. It would be like uh, Miles screaming in his bed, which he's being incredibly calm now. He was a little bit fussy today. Uh, you know, and he's screaming and, and we're hovering overhead and, and I'm picking him up and trying to take hold of him or more accurately, cause I was working on my message all today. Boo would be hovering over him, trying to take care of him. And, uh, and, and he's a proud baby saying, I can take care of myself. I don't need you. And, and I'm an infant, but I'm independent. 
and and so he's standing tall and and 20 years has gone by weeping sobbing trying to settle his own matters and he is taking its toll and he's broken of his pride and his and his pacifier is god knows where it is and it's strewn about and and he says i'm i'm done and i'm through and then finally you can see that the love of God our Father as he, as he leaps upon the opportunity to take hold of his child and, and free them from this bondage that they've been suffering under. Now Samuel says, that's what happened in that time. That was, that was one moment. That was one moment. I can give you a list of all these men that were part of an innumerable amount of moments. And it's that God. It's this God, this God that loves you, that treasures you, that hovers over you, wanting to care for you. Let's consider some of these men. He says, every time you've fallen into this trap, God has raised up someone. He raised up Gideon. Or Jerobaal, as, as the Bible lists here, is the same man. And who was Gideon? Right? We know Gideon, he's this great man of faith. But we actually studied him in Judges. And was he that great man of faith that we like to remember so fondly? Right? Gideon was a man that did a lot with very little faith, in fact. A man that sought constant reassurance from God, a man that I, I sympathize with uh, profoundly. He gives them Jephthah. Who is Jephthah? Well, surely this is the perfect man that ought to be used from God. Right? Jephthah, now, a righteous man of God. You could look to him and say, oh, perfect standard this Jephthah held. Now, Jephthah was the son of a prostitute. He was exiled by his own people, driven out of his land and brought back to defend them against the Ammonites. Even after God gave him a victory, he made a foolish vow that ended up uh, w with the death of his daughter. And maybe your, your, maybe your daughter, maybe your Bible says Barak, Barak, however you want to pronounce it. My Bible says uh, Baden. And you might be asking yourself why I picked this translation to use today. Because this translation's right. The Hebrew says Baden. It doesn't say Barak or Barak. And who is Baden? You raise your hand and go, oh, I'll tell you the tale of Baden. Can you do that? You can't do that because no one knows who Baden is. That's why they put Barak in there is because they think, well, maybe it's just a little manuscript slip. And some of the manuscripts do say uh, Barak, so we'll, we'll slip him in there. And, and well, some of the scholars surmise that it could be Samson. It's a regional title uh, for Samson. Uh, but the fact remains that the Hebrew says Baden. And I like to leave it like that. I, I think that's, that's a wonderful thing uh, to think about, uh, to, to consider the man, Baden, that we know nothing about but that God holds in very high regard. 
You know, and you can think about Samuel rattling off all these names just filled with the Holy Spirit, reminding them of the deliverance of God and these insignificant small deliverers that God raised up to do this great work. Because after all, it was God that really did the work. He picked these men to prove how wonderful he is. And he throws in their baiting. And Samuel, I can imagine him saying it. And he's like, you know, Gideon, you all know Gideon. Jephthah and Baden. Who's Baden? And everyone's looking at each other going, who's Who's this Baden? A man that nobody knew uh, then and, and nobody knows now, but a man that was great in the eyes of God. Yeah, I think that, that a lot of us will just be totally surprised by how upside down heaven will be when we get there. You know, we have this uh, kind of uh, carnal idea about heaven that, you know, we're going to get there and you're going to see some people with these huge mansions and other people with these like apartments, you know, and, and, you know, we, you know, pastors encourage people, oh, you got to do your work so that you, you know, earn all those amenities in heaven. You know, you don't want to be that guy showing up and you know, there's not going to be any envy in heaven or anything like that, but you're going to be looking at people and you're going to think, well, wow, I mean, I only have like a two bedroom apartment. I don't even have a dishwasher. I mean, granted, I'm in heaven, which is cool, I guess, but it'd be nice to have all that other stuff. And uh, but but that's then that's completely carnal. But Jesus does speak of varying degrees of heavenly reward. All right, you could you could read uh, Revelations twenty two twelve. He talks about coming back, and he's bringing his rewards uh, with him. And, and 1 Corinthians 3, 8, talking about receiving the rewards, do your labor. We look at some of those things uh, uh, about storing up treasures in, in heaven, and, and, and you think, well, it's going to go to those people that are out there in public. It's going to go to those people that have those great gifts and these awesome talents. And you conclude that heaven just has nothing for me because I'm just, I'm a regular saint and I'm not gifted. I'm not blessed as a believer. And and this is the conclusion that many Christians uh, come to. But, but, well, first of all, the amazing thing to consider is that any one of us could do exactly what Samuel is doing right now in this moment. Right, you think about Samuel, and you have him so elevated, don't you? But what is he doing for the nation right now? All he's doing is encouraging them, and in a few minutes, he's going to pray for them. Right, and any one of us could do that. You can all encourage someone. You could all uh, pray for someone. You, you don't need to be a Gideon or a Jephthah to do that. You can be a Baden or a Samuel and do that. And we so often ask the question, well, what what can I uh, do uh, for God? And you look around, there's there's all these people that need encouragement and edification. You, You look out and there's a nation before you that has forgotten who their God is and how great their God is. And you can be Samuel to them. Right? And you would never say if you were actually confronted with this issue, well, that's, I would encourage people, that's not my, that's not my gift. You know, someone comes up to you and they're just terribly depressed and you go, well, I'm really more of a teacher or a worship leader, so I'm sorry, just, you got to go away. You know, someone comes up to you and they're like, oh man, I've had such a hard day. And, and you go, well, you know, if it's a matter of speaking in tongues, I'm your guy. Right. This really, it seems more like a word of wisdom type of thing. And I have a word of knowledge type of gift. So, you know, you're on your own. 
we could all do this thing. Exactly what Samuel is doing right now, this glorious and simple gift, or we could all do this kind of baden thing, which is an unknown categorical gift that is great in the eyes of God. But we don't deem that as a worthwhile gift. We don't perceive that to be a wonderful and treasured gift. And, and, and you know, I'm sure when we get to heaven, though we've never heard of this man, Baden, we can never meet this man, Baden, we'll see him there and we will be astounded by the honor due him and millions other just like him. There were unsung heroes of the faith that aren't great in the eyes of men, but are great in the eyes of God. He didn't have a glamorous gift. But God saw something in him to include him. And, and it's and it's encouraging to consider because listen, I'm I'm never gonna be a Gideon. I'm never gonna be a, a, a Jephthah. I'm never gonna be a Sam. Right? I, I'm not nearly as gifted as Sam. And I remember when we went through Strength Finders, right? We uh, we did it as a leadership team. And I remember, you know, uh, all of us uh, going through. I wasn't there when they actually did it as a leadership team, but we all, you know, we all did it. And I eventually did go through it. And uh, I remember talking to Mary after she went through it. And uh, it, it, she went through this uh, this Strength Finders, and, and it came out exactly like how she knew it would come out for her. Right, it basically confirmed that you're meticulously organized and ridiculously OCD, right? <laughs> and you were like, "Oh, wow, big surprise, nothing super there." And it's like, you know, we go through this, and we all want to to be woo or whatever it is that that people are super excited about. And you want to be that one that can win over the world with your woo. You know, that's that's what you have, and you just woo the world. You pitch woo all over the place, and and it's like that's that's what you want. And, and she hated that. She wanted something exciting and dramatic. And, and I remember what you told me, Sam said to you, once you discovered that. And it's always stuck with me. And she said, I, I can't believe that this, this is what I got. Everyone else in the world has these great and exciting gifts. And this is what I got. And then Sam said, I can't do what I do without you doing what you do. And listen, that's the point of it all. We all collectively make up this body that, that comes together, every part as essential as the last, to, uh, to effectively and accurately present Christ as a body to this world that so desperately needs to see him. And what a blessing it is when we stop making excuses and just use whatever it is that, that, that we got uh, for God when we decide to seek out a way to bless others creatively for his kingdom. So I'll never, I'll never be one of these guys. But I don't have to be one of those guys. right? God has given me, just like God has given you, something. God has given all of us uh, an essential component to his kingdom that is necessary for the presentation of his body. And and but they 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 dismiss it. They forget their history, and they they seek another to to take the place of the king that they already had. And in verse twelve, says, 
When you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. And that's what we talked about last week. So despite the faithfulness of God in the past, you've uh, left him out of your future. And, And this is the man that they've chosen to look to now. And here he is, and I can imagine... Samuel gesturing to Saul as he sits next to him, saying what he's about to say now in verse 13. Now, therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king raised over you will follow the Lord your God. <clears throat> now, uh, I got 15 minutes left, and I think we could do this. John Corson uh, made a really neat point here in his commentary. You know, and here's the people, and they, they, this is what they've asked for. This is what they wanted. This is what they prayed for. This is really what they rejected God for. It was this man. And, and, and John Corson boils it down to this really simple point. He says, all prayers are essentially thy will be done or my will be done. And I'm going to try and uh, fly through this because I've been thinking about this all week and I have way too much to say about it. Um, But it's true. And these words really rang true as I mulled over them during this past week. And I came to two conclusions about this whole idea of all prayer boiling down to my will or thy will uh, be done. And the first point is this. I really like it when my will is done, right? And that's that's just the reality of it. I really, I really like that. The second point is uh, I don't like that in the long run, though. And that's uh, that was the very simplistic conclusion that I came to after a week of, of, of pondering this point. I'm so happy in the moment when it's my will that's done, right? Because I got what I wanted, so why wouldn't I be just over the moon about that? Um, and and I wonder sometimes, well, why, why are you doing this, God? Why are you doing these weird, bizarre things that you do? Why don't you answer my prayers the way I want you to answer them? And I come to God and I say, okay, I know, uh, you know, you created the universe and you've been, you've been very involved. Right. Okay. No one's taking that away from you, God. But you know, this is my life, and I know what's best for my life, and I know what I want you to do in my life. And then I think about some of the prayers uh, that God didn't answer. And if God answered all my prayers, my will be done. I think about all the things that I would miss out on, all the things that would be uh, omitted from my existence. I would have been married in the sixth grade to a girl named Jenny Craig. I dated, I dated a Jenny Craig in the sixth grade. Not the Jenny Craig. Don't get excited. <clears throat> but I dated a Jenny Craig. And in the sixth grade, I was fully convinced that this was the girl that I needed to marry. And, and, and I wasn't even a Christian. But I said, God, you know, this is it. Give me this woman. And she was mean to me. And she was a mean Jenny Craig. But I thought, well, this is the one. I'm going to make this happen. God, 
You know, and I can imagine if God was just like, okay, well, you're the boss, boom. And then I'm married in the sixth grade to Jenny Craig, right? That would be, that'd be terrible. And if God answered all of my prayers in the my will be done, you know, mentality, I wouldn't be a Genesis. And there's some of you that are like, ah, oh, God, why didn't you answer that prayer? <laughs> yeah. Of all the prayers that you could have answered, Lord. <laughs> But I, I wouldn't be here because I would still be at the Baptist church that I was going to. I tried, I tried staying at that church twice, you know, despite everything that I felt uh, you know, pushing in my soul and God laying heavy upon me. Uh, I really wanted to be at that church. I saw a church that was just, they were dying. And it was my grandma's church. And, and I, I wanted to be there. But I felt called to be here. I felt like the Lord pushing me to be here. And the Bible has all these neat stories of God answering my will be done prayers. You know, the best one is Isaiah 38. Isaiah 38, uh, Isaiah the prophet comes to Hezekiah the king, and you know the story. And Hezekiah, or Isaiah walks through the door and he says, Hezekiah, you're going to die. I'm sorry, but I've been talking to God, and God says you're going to die. You're not going to recover. And that would be a terrible thing, especially to have a prophet tell you, because you, know, you know it's going to come true. And Hezekiah, was he, was he was terribly troubled, and he just began to call out to God and say, God, don't let this thing happen. And, you know, Isaiah's already leaving, you know, he's on to his next prophetic thing, and God says, hey, go turn around and go tell Hezekiah, you know, I'll give him 15 more years. But what does Hezekiah do with those 15 more years? You know, he prayed a my will be done prayer. Now, God, this was your decision, but I want it my way right away because this is, salvation is essentially Burger King. And, and he said, you know, this is what I want, so make it happen, God. And, and, uh, and he got it. He got 15 more years. And in the very next chapter, he invited Babylon into the treasury of the kingdom. And he said, hey, look at all this gold I got. You guys want to come here and enslave and murder us and take all this gold from us? And they did that, right? I mean, he opened up the treasury of the kingdom to the enemy. And then they were taken into captivity subsequently. He also birthed Manasseh, which is one of the most wicked kings to ever walk on the face of this planet. I mean, this, this is what happened during uh, this extended period of time. Now, God gave him what he wanted, and in the moment, he loved it because that's what he asked for. But he would live to regret it. And this point boils down to uh, a, a larger point because this is this is what I hear from high schoolers constantly working with them for for all these years in youth ministry and they say well why do I have to wait until marriage to have sex why do I have to listen and honor and obey my parents you know they, they, I was at work uh, the other day and this kid there's this squishy stress thing on my desk and it's, it's like a clown, and when you squish it, the eyes and the ears pop out, and it's disturbing, but it's there. And um, some kids find it necessary when they're working with me. I'm just that terrible. But he, he was squishing this, and he said, I'm going to steal this. And I said, don't do that. That's wrong. And, uh, and, and it's been missing for weeks. And I don't know if he, if he took it. I don't know, but he did say that. You know, it might have just been misplaced. I don't know what happened. 
It's, it's a crazy world out there. But they think, I want to do this. I want to do this, so I'm going to do it. And, and you can do all of those things. You can do whatever you want to do. You can have it your way. You can, it can be a my will be done type of thing. And and you'll love it when you do it. That's the thing. I mean, people do those things because they want to do it and because they love it. And when they do it, they love it. And that's the nature of sin. But God sees the consequences of it, so he warns us concerning it. And and he says, don't do this because your will having it your way, it's not going to end well. Right? It's going to end with, with STDs and premature pregnancies. It's going to lead to imprisonment, lifelong imprisonment for stealing squishy things that have bulbous eyes. And the law was given and prayer is given with this, this thought in mind, that it's for our care and consideration. It's given for thy will be done, to spare you heartache. And they wanted a king, and they got a king, and right now they love it. But soon they're going to be burdened by it. And there are consequences with uh, my will be done that he, desire, or that he desires to spare us from with thy will be done. And uh, we have five minutes. I, I think I can, can do it. Is everyone okay? Do you, do you want to hurt me? I'm sorry, um, but we're going to, let's, let's just finish. Uh, verse 16, <clears throat> even now take your stand and see this great thing, which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call to the Lord and he may send thunder and rain. Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And uh, then all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God, so that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil by asking uh, for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not fear, you have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And uh, you must not turn aside then, or from, uh, then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver uh, because they are futile for the Lord will not abandon his people or account um, or on account of his great name because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king shall be swept away. <clears throat> and here's the, the wonderful thing in the aftermath of the my will be done moment. And it's simply this, that God isn't done. Right? And that's that's a wonderful, reassuring truth to uh, to consider that it's not like, um, you know, oh, you chose to do this thing instead of following me. So, well, 
I'm done with you. You're on your own, and I hope you enjoy your your stinky, messed up life, right? And and uh, since you didn't uh, go my way, I can't help you. And, and listen, God is in the business of redemption. And and he says, listen, you've taken a wrong turn. And you really have. But that doesn't mean that you can't serve God right where you are. Right? Because wherever you find yourself, God will meet you. He won't turn a blind eye or, or meet you with a, a, a deaf ear. You can sin. And really, Israel had sinned in just this unspeakable manner. And in that instant, that, that sad circumstance, you'll be met by an incredibly loving and forgiving God. Samuel says, listen, don't write this off as a loss. Don't look at this moment and say, this is what I've done, and now it's all over for me. He says, listen, I'll be honest with you. You traded the one true God, the King of Kings, for some guy. And I don't even care if he's a good guy. He's still just a guy. But that's not the end of the story. That's just the beginning of this new and different story. It's just another in a series of redemption stories. And and our God is in the business of writing redemption stories. And we need him to write redemption stories for us constantly because we are so prone to stray. It's just in our nature. God isn't done. It's, it's tragic, though, that Israel perceived this as being the end. You know, thunder and lightning, they come down and they go, oh, no, God is real. You know, thunder, lightning, and Samuel says, I'm going to do this, and it happens. And it's during this season when it's not supposed to happen, and now it's, you know, devastating their crops, and they're going, ah, God is real, and I made him super upset. And... Uh, Pray that we don't die. And I get texts and, and phone calls periodically uh, from from people, and, and they, they say, you know, I've done this thing, and I'm going through this thing. Uh, I need you to pray for me. And I always want to say, you know, of course I'll pray for you. But you can pray too, right? He is He's right there for you. He's right there with you. He's there constantly reaching out to you. Did you notice in verse 22, in spite of all of this and through all of this, he says, he is pleased to call you his own. He's pleased to call you his people, right? I know you've done this unspeakably horrible thing. God is still so pleased that you're his. He loves you that much. He hasn't disowned you. He expects this from you. God knew exactly what he was getting when he got you. He knew the end from the beginning. He knows the whole deal. It's not like you've done this thing and God's, go, God's going, whoa, that wasn't part of the program at all. I had no idea that you were a bad person. Well, if I knew that, I wouldn't have gone through all this trouble for you. No, I mean, he, it, it would be like Miles pooping in his diaper and then spending the rest of his life avoiding me. You know, just ashamed and, and defeated and saying, well, I can't be around you. I'm so just terrible. No, listen, you're a child. You poop. And we all do. And I still love you. And I know and I knew the minute I took you home, the moment I put you in the car seat, I looked at him and I said, you're going to poop. 
and it's going to be a lot, and it's going to be for years, and I'm going to be cleaning you. And all I want to do every time is take him in my arms and hug him and embrace him and cherish him and then quickly put him down on the bed and change him because he stinks. Right? And that's all of us. That's our story. That's from beginning to end. That's what God wants to do. He wants to embrace us. He wants to cherish us. And then he wants to de-yucky us. But it's not because he's disgusted by us. He's not looking at you and going, wow, you're so nasty. I can't wait to get this filth off of you. He's looking down at you, wanting to change you because he so greatly loves you and he wants the best for you. That's the whole point of this, thy will be done thing, that he wants nothing but great and glorious things for your past, for your present, and for your future. He wants to redeem all the deviations. He wants to bless you as you trust and move forward as his precious people. And next week, uh, we're going to see just that with Saul as he moves forward into taking this leadership position over the kingdom, but uh, that'll have to wait until then. And let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. And I'm sorry for keeping you late. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for how wonderful you are. Lord, how true your word is. Lord, that we have a God that is never changing, that is not moody. Lord, that you are completely consistent for us every moment of every day. And Lord, the great things that you've done in times past are the great things that you desire to do in our midst. I thank you that despite everything that we go through and how disgusting we can be, Lord, you are, you are constantly with us. You're constantly loving us. You're constantly desiring to embrace us, to clean us up, to work with us, and to set us on a course that glorifies you. And Lord, that is best for us. I thank you, God, for these truths. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, and I pray for uh, all these people. Lord, that your blessing would be upon them. Lord, that you would use them, touch them, speak to them, and move in our midst. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I'll see you all soon.